Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 27. This episode is being released on Friday, November 20th, which is the Friday before Thanksgiving. And I just want to take time to wish all of my listeners um, a happy Thanksgiving and also a safe Thanksgiving. Um, also, just uh, welcome to new listeners. Uh, you can actually listen to any episode in any order. This is not a series. This is just a set of interviews that I have with musicians. Um, if, you, if you're new to this, you know we're talking about the pit. We're talking about um, the musicians who play for musical theater. While some, sometimes musical theater, it crosses over into opera and it crosses over into ballet. Generally, from the background I'm coming from, I'm thinking of actual theater uh, with plays, uh, with musicals. But from the perspective of someone who plays in a pit, there's, there's not a lot of difference uh, if you're going to opera, if you're going to ballet. So a lot of my guests have an experience across the board including today's guest, which is Doug Rao. He's a percussionist, and um, as he'll mention, he loves playing in theater, but um, he doesn't have a lot of shows to his credit so far, but he talks about you know playing for The Nutcracker uh, as well as playing for shows like A Chorus Line, which was the one show we did together, um, and we have some fun memories that we'll, that we'll be talking about. Before I say uh, more about uh, Doug and our conversation coming up. Just want to remind you, uh, please, if you enjoy any of these episodes, please share them with your friends. And uh, if you would be so kind, please leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. All of that helps us to be found by new listeners and allows our show the possibility of continuing to grow. Again, I'm talking to Doug Rao today. Uh, Doug is uh, a young musician he hasn't. It hasn't been too long since he graduated with his master's degree from School of the Arts, um, and that followed a music education degree at Wingate University. And uh, I'm going to be talking to him about playing percussion, about playing drums. He's an active performer in many professional groups. He's been a percussion section member of the Union Symphony Orchestra in North Carolina. He's also a substitute percussionist with the Salisbury Symphony. Hendersonville Symphony, and the North Carolina Brass Band. Um, he's a proud artist of Salyer's Percussion Sticks and Mallets. He's a member of the Black Swamp Percussion Educator Network. And one thing we're going to really be talking about is that he is not only a performer, but he is a passionate educator. He loves teaching, and he currently resides in Monroe, North Carolina. Um, he's teaching at Union and Marshville elementary school. He was recently appointed to uh, become professor of percussion at Catawba College in Salisbury, North Carolina. And he's also instructor of percussion at East Lincoln High School. So very diverse background. Again, he loves teaching. He loves playing percussion and drums, uh, especially for the pit. And we're going to talk about all of that and more. Here is my conversation with Doug Rao. Doug, how are you doing today? Um, I guess I should say, how have you been doing since March? 
I've been doing really well. Um, you know, the with the pandemic and everything, it's been a little crazy from time to time. But for the majority of my time, it's been very productive, especially on my health journey. Um, since March, I've lost about 63 pounds. Wow. Um, so that's that's kind of been what I've my go-to for the past six months. So so what's been your process on on losing weight? I see you've made changes to your diet, but also your exercise. What what are some of the things you've done that have been successful? Um, so the biggest change that I made as far as my dieting goes is I decided to go back on to Weight Watchers, mm-hmm. um, which is something I actually tried out in middle school and had very much success with it. And I lost probably about 35 pounds in middle school when I was on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was also in addition to being on the wrestling team, which was really the main reason why I went on Weight Watchers was so I could lose weight to get into the lower weight classes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, so then I had also the running thing. I also tried that out in middle school. And that was really, really good. Plus the dieting, it really helped the process of losing weight a lot faster mm-hmm. and a lot more sustainable. Um, and then I decided to kind of go on that journey again as an adult. Right. Um And back in March, I woke up one Saturday and I was just like, enough is enough. I need to do something different Um, because as, as you probably experienced the same thing as a musician, you, you're on overload all the time. You don't have time to really think about healthy habits and healthy eating habits and working out and all that stuff. Um, So it really makes it difficult to uh, think about those things. And I just, I just stopped one day and said, I need to go to the grocery store. And I spent like three or four hours just picking out stuff um, and seeing how many points things were. Because that's what Weight Watchers is. It's a point system. Um, And so I did that. And I started, it was March 1st when I started. And uh, I've been doing it ever since. how How many pounds are you away from your goal? I would say my goal right now is to get to about probably 80 pounds, okay. I would say. I'll go past 80 pounds if I if I feel like I can, which I, I mean, I know I can, but it's obviously going to take a lot longer to get past um, right. 80 pounds because I think the fast weight loss for me has lost its steam. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, oh, I mean, you can accelerate it at the beginning, but then, it, you know, it tends to, Yeah. it's actually, apparently it's good if it stables off. It's like a, a rapid weight loss over a long time is usually not just fat, you know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's not yeah. always good. So it sounds like you're doing some great things, and at least that's one positive thing coming out of the pandemic. So, <laughs> you know, I, I tell people all the time, I said, the, uh, there's two different things I think you can gain from this pandemic, and I would say one is, health and wellness that's like number one because you don't have anything else to focus on especially at the beginning of this whole thing right you really you know everybody was in the same spot we were all closed down and everything and uh we didn't really have much going on especially musician wise you know right we didn't really have all of our stuff was getting canceled so i was like i need to spend all this extra time that i have productively um and even as a school teacher too when you get told one day, hey, t- 
tomorrow you're going to be out of school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like, uh, well, how do I prepare for that? And so there was a lot of downtime to really focus on the health and wellness of, of one, being an educator, but two, um, just being a person in general. Um, right. And so that was that was definitely a big thing. But also another thing is just spending time with your family. Right. Like all the time that you are spent doing other things, especially if you have young children or even if you haven't, like if you haven't seen your family in a while and really spent quality time with, with them, I think during this pandemic is like the perfect time to do that. Right. And, you know, I think a lot of it offsets one big issue during this time that, that I've seen with some of the, some of my musician colleagues, especially the ones that relied heavier on performance income. And that's just the mental health strain. Um, I mean, uh, the, the two biggest things that I think w- have stressed me in my life have been financial issues and health issues. And and the problem is, is when you have things like, uh, I mean, I haven't read I haven't read the details, but you had uh, like the article. Uh, and, and just for, to remind my listeners, we recorded these in advance. We're recording in September, but it was about a week ago that Dr. Fauci was saying might be a year after the vaccine before we yeah. get theaters open again. And and I haven't read the details of that. I'm sure smaller venues, you know, can open up and there can be some, you know, I'm sure mm-hmm. there's going to be ways to get around that. But that's just such a damning bit of news, you know, it's hard to get yeah. around it. Yeah, oh, I know. You got to have some, you got to have some outlets. You got to have some ways of coping with stress and, um, and, and sometimes a distraction, you know, so like, uh, so you're getting in and I've seen you're getting into running, you know, of course. And, uh, and, yeah. uh, and of course, you know, with your weight watchers and all that, it's good to have those hobbies. Um, so outside of getting to know you here and there on Facebook, uh, you know, our one interaction was, uh, through a production of a chorus line, uh, at mm-hmm. school of the arts. And, uh, and I'm just going to go ahead and just, this is, this is my biggest memory of you. Uh, you, there's a drum solo in, the I guess it's like the entract or whatever it's called. It's the yeah, introduction yeah. act too. Uh, I mean, there's actually it's like a bunch of instrumental solos, but um, yeah, there's a, there's a part with a drum solo, and and I started noticing like in rehearsals leading up to like opening nights, like yours got a little you you were adding stuff as you went, and I just said at one point you should as a joke you should you should put a police whistle in there. So I'll let you take over the story from here. What did you do the next night? (laughs) So, yeah, you're right. As I, as we rehearsed and, you know, we didn't really have that many rehearsals on the show, but um, every rehearsal, it seemed like I was building that solo every little bit. Um, But yeah, as we got into the kind of the final stages of uh, the production, um, I added the police whistle just because you said something about it. And I was like, I know I have one at home. So I went home and found it that night that we talked about it. Oh yeah. I, um, I remember, I remember that this was the exact <laughs> conversation. You should add a police whistle and you just looked yeah. at me and said, I've got one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was like, that was thing number one. Um, and then I also decided I'm going to surprise everybody and add uh, two other instruments to the mix, which was one, a slide whistle and two, literally a dog squeaky toy. <laughs> yep. um, and so I decided, you know, that's, that's what my solo was going to be kind of based around. Yeah. Um, 
and everyone was caught off guard. It was great. Oh yeah, I mean I can't. I mean there were three of us on keyboard, and I can't speak to uh, to Bruce, but me and Kelly just about went off our benches the first time we heard the squeaky toy. <laughs> it was quite amazing. Well, you know, sometimes those little improvisatory moments are really the the headline of whatever we're playing. I mean, and it, it may it may have seemed like really weird, but it was like a cool weird. Like everybody was really digging into it. Right. Um, and I actually had compliments from the production manager and everything about right. that. I don't know if I ever told you that. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, um, a lot of our listeners probably, I mean, they don't, they don't play in the pit or they have kind of a limited understanding of theater. Um, there's two ways that a music director and director can choose to approach a show. One is to say, here's the Broadway cast recording. We want to sound just like it. And then you get some yeah. other people that are like, yeah, the Broadway cast recording is good, but let's look at our personnel and let's, uh, you know, our, our, who we have on stage, who we have in the pit, and uh, maybe we can make it something that people haven't heard before. So it's like, I'm pretty sure it's been a long time since I've listened to the cast recording, but I don't think that you're going to hear any squeaky toys or police whistles and yeah. drum solos on that. <laughs> so that makes it a really unique product. And um, I think as a music director, I've always been, um, I, I don't want to say annoyed, but it, it makes me a little sad when uh, I get actors, you know, always saying, uh, well, this isn't how they do it on the cast recording. When I make a suggestion, it's like, why does it have to be? But mm-hmm. it has to be just like now. I understand it needs to be like it if we're if we're doing pre-recorded tracks or something like that, and it's matching. If it's a tempo thing or something like that, yeah. Um, if the choreographer is using the cast recording, then you know it's in the best interest of like for the tempos to be there. But you know, little there there are ways to make it your own. Um, mm-hmm. And I always appreciate it when like I hear actors sing things in a way that it's different than the way it was. And, 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 and the pit doesn't get a lot of opportunity to express themselves that way. So it's nice that you got a chance to do that. <laughs> I think I actually saved. So I think I saved the squeaky toy in the, um, I think it was, it was a slide whistle. I think I, tr- I saved that for the last performance specifically. Right. Um, but I think I did the police whistle probably in, one of the day performances or something that we had the final weekend of it. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, it was a fun time. I mean, it, I, that was the first time I ever played that show. Yeah. Um, I've been very thankful to be able to play so many, I, like something I was going to talk about tonight is I've, I've played uh, 13 different shows in the last, I guess, been seven years since i really started playing professionally with mm-hmm. uh, musicals and stuff um and uh I've, I've played 13 different shows it may not seem like a lot but in reality you're lucky to get one show that you're able to play every year right um and i've had such a good relationship with like acting out with, with school of the arts because i started uh, i think it's been three three years now since i started playing with them um, and I started the year after I graduated from uh, School of the Arts. Right. So uh, that's been a really good relationship. 
but I've been very thankful to have the opportunity to play all these different shows and Chorus Line. That was the first time I ever played that show. And I kind of go in with the same mindset. Anytime I play a different show is like, I want to make it different. I don't mm-hmm. want to play the same thing. And a lot of times I don't, I'm not really sure what your book looks like half the time, but my book being a percussionist, especially the drum set part, right. It's typically just an outline. It's not right. It doesn't really tell you the meat and potatoes of everything. Right. Right. Uh, you know, there's certain, there are certain composers out there that do flesh it out a little bit more, um, and others that give you a little bit more freedom of choice. Uh, so I assume mm-hmm. that, uh, like me, you were on board to do uh, the Drowsy Chaperone. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of. Uh, let's see if I'm counting. That was one of three gigs that got canceled for me, mm-hmm. uh, if theater related. <laughs> I mean, that well, I should say that we're on the books with production dates. There are other times of the year that have happened since then that I would probably have had something, but <laughs> yeah. I think it was something like one of five major gigs that I had in the spring that got canceled. Wow. Um, Cause I had that musical and then I had another musical, which I can't even think off the top of my head what, what the name of it was. But um, then I had a couple of symphony gigs with union symphony and all of this stuff got canceled just like that. <laughs> wow. Um, let's back up a bit and let's just talk about how'd you get into music? So my musical journey actually started relatively late. Um, I started kind of at the end of fifth grade going into sixth grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't start actually studying an instrument until I got to sixth grade band. And right. I started out as a percussionist, which is actually not very common anymore. Right. Um, unfortunately, a lot of middle school band directors start everybody on wind instruments and they don't start percussion typically until about halfway through sixth grade year. Right. Um, so I was lucky enough to have a band director that allowed me to start percussion in sixth grade. And, uh, my brother who's actually my twin, my fraternal twin, he, uh, actually started band the year before I did on saxophone. He did not last very long on saxophone. He was a jock. Um, right (laughs) he wasn't into it until i think i I think he lasted until about seventh grade on that um but eighth grade comes around he's like i'm getting ready for sports and high school and everything um so i was the musician in the family really no other person besides my mom she has a little bit of piano experience she took lessons um but for the most part no one's a professional musician in my family. So I'm really the only one that went down this, this road. Right. Um, uh, uh, what came first, the mallet instruments or like drums? Um, it was both actually. My, okay. my band director who is uh, Richard Holmes. Um, he, he was like all into the uh, band association for North Carolina and everything. He was all, all about really starting us well off. And we were lucky to have a second director that would come in and assist with uh, percussion specifically. Uh, so I got a really good education at the middle school level, right. um, which unfortunately not every school has that that ability to bring extra people in to work with, with the students that they may not feel secure teaching up to a certain point. You know, right. uh, band directors they study all the instruments like I did at college, 
but we only know so much up to a certain point um, for each instrument besides our primary instrument. Um, right. So anyways, kind of going back a little bit. Uh, so I, I started in sixth grade and my mom was actually the one that signed me up for percussion. She took off work early when I was in fifth grade just to make sure that I got to sign up for percussion. Cause my brother wanted to sign up for percussion, but he, he missed the the list by like one or two people or something. Um, and cause they only took four at my middle school. So if it wasn't for my mom, right. I probably would not be a percussionist right now. Um, <laughs> right now, one thing I just want to go ahead and say, cause uh, you know, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm well into the twenties in terms of number of, pit musicians I've interviewed, um, it is not out of the ordinary for you to have started in sixth grade. I found out, like, except for, like, maybe some of the pianists, maybe a few of the violinists that I've talked to, it's not what, mm-hmm. you know, the media would have you to believe if you're not starting, you know, while you're still in diapers, you don't have a shot of being a great professional musician. But I find that most of the professional musicians I've talked to, especially the ones that play band or orchestral instruments, started late elementary school or in middle school. And some, some of them didn't find the instrument that makes the money until high school or even, you know, like very late high school. So, cause they're, they're trying all these different things. So mm-hmm. you're still getting the musical background, but for some people it, it takes them a while. So it's kind of neat that you, your first time with music is what you've stuck with this whole time. So it is, it's very unique, um, especially in this wide array that we have in the musical world um yeah i mean percussion has always been my go-to i mean i i've always loved it it's it's never a dull moment i think i i I tell my students it may seem like it's boring at first especially if you're playing mallets a lot or you're playing maybe just snare drum and you want to play mallets um but if you stick with it they're going to be playing hundreds of instruments right, <laughs> and they just exactly. don't, they don't realize it at the moment, but, um, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I've talked to, talked to percussionists before on, on the show, actually a couple of them. And, it, and it's, it's just fun talking about, it's almost like dance and you've got a choreography of like <laughs> what you've got to grab when, and, you know, do things at certain times. Um, so it sounds like you, you identified quite, well, you know, with your band director and being a band percussionist. Um, but, you know, you, you seem quite comfortable when I work with you on a drum set. So, like, did, when when did you actually get into sitting down at a set and drumming? And what, you know, what did, did were you the type to play along with songs at home? You know, just, like, drummers on, like, uh, I don't even know what kind of music you listen to, if it's jazz or rock or... <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm a, I'm a typical drummer in that, yes, I did do a lot of just, like, listening to music and trying to play along. Um, I made the... I, I don't want to say, like, a bad decision, but um, I made a very bold decision to try to start uh, playing Rush. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as you know the uh uh neil pert yeah um or neil peart yeah. some people say yeah um he he did pass away just uh i think it's been a couple months now right um he passed away but he was one of my mentors growing up in into this uh percussion world um and especially drum set specific 
Um, but yeah, he's always been like one of my idols. Um, right. I've always liked Rush music. Um, I actually need to start listening to them more. I, I've kind of, I don't know, I've gotten into listening to a lot of music that's uh, new today. Right. Mainly because like I'm trying to keep up with the times, like being especially an elementary school teacher, I have to find ways of keeping these kids engaged. And a lot of times it's, you know, bringing the the music that they know. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You probably say rush around, you know, elementary school kids and they're like, huh? Yeah. They're like, um, yeah. That's like, yeah. They're they're like, I want to rush out of here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So that was probably my first band that I really started listening to. Um, And then I started, I would say they were definitely my, my go-to music throughout middle school and high school. And I actually got to go to uh, one of the snake and arrows tour concerts right? Um, that happened in Charlotte. And that was a big deal for me to see Neil Peart live. Uh, um, have you ever, uh, it, it was on Netflix for a while and it might still be there. Um, there was a documentary about rush. It was came out in 2012 or I think when it, it came out during the clock, Clockwork Angels uh-huh. were just around that time. Don't know if you've ever seen that, but uh, it was great. It, it it caused me to go revisit their entire discography. You know, just going through it. But there's, uh, you know, I've always admired. Uh, I do say Neil Peart. You know, it's just how I've heard it. But um, mm-hmm. I've always uh, I've always admired him for his musicianship and also the, just the fact that he's the drummer and he writes the lyrics. I don't know if you knew oh, that. Yeah. yeah, he writes all oh, the lyrics for there. <laughs> um, yeah. But there was a story I hadn't heard before that documentary that I found really fascinating. I mean, in 1992 or 93, I can't remember which year, I mean, he was already considered, if not the greatest drummer, rock drummer in the world, he had to be on the top five list of anybody's, you know, respectable list. And Mm -hmm. he decided... He wasn't happy with his technique, so he went and studied with a jazz drummer to learn, like, you know, to polish on his technique and to learn jazz and learn that style and Mm -hmm. to add to his tool bag of things that he could do for the band, but also for himself. And and I just thought that that's a sign of a real professional right there. It's, uh, you know, it's not thinking you're better than you are. It's regardless of how good you actually are. How can I be better? Mm-hmm. How can I do something to get better? So, oh yeah, I mean, I'm definitely about the the evolution game for sure. I, I I think evolving is one of our biggest tools as musicians. Right. Um, and I, you know, I, I hear a lot of talk of just sustainability and just like, um, okay, it's good enough, you know, mm-hmm. and. I, I don't like hearing that. Like I'm very big into the um, concept that there's always more that you can do. There's always a different road that you can go on that will help whatever you're doing at that current moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I never say like I hardly say no to opportunity. Now sometimes that gets me in a lot of uh, pain and suffering. Uh, <laughs> right. Mainly because I'm like sleep deprived sometimes. Um, but in a lot of ways, I, I don't regret saying yes to all these gigs and all these um, teaching opportunities and stuff because I always learned something from it. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And that's that's something I've mentioned before on the show. 
that's one of the toughest things I think to balance. But I think one thing I would say to everybody without exception, if you're in the, even the first third, if not first half of your career, say yes to everything, you know, just, mm-hmm. um, I mean, say yes to things that you're not even sure of. Actually. I mean, I had a, I had a guy just this week talk to me about collaborating with him on some songs he's doing. It's not even a genre I've ever done music for, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, but of course I'm going to say yes, because I want to get better at doing that. And I could probably find something in that I can carry back over to, you know, the, whatever I regularly am doing, you know, me, my more symphonic mm-hmm. and, uh, and jazz stuff. So, um, yes, but at some point you may have to say, and you just have to be, you have to be self-aware, like, uh, if stress is overwhelming or if you're having trouble managing what you do have, there are times that you, you do have to reach that point where you, you do say no. And I think everybody, uh, I think most people are kind of in tune with where that is. If I don't know if they always do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you've, you've done some, you've done some shows. You've done 13 shows. Uh, let's, let's go to the first one. What was your first show and how old were you? Um, so it was Footloose actually. Okay. Um, and I was actually 20 years old. Um, so that, that was my first professional show. I, I may have filled in at some point prior to that. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head though. I actually had to go back to my, my, uh, TV to to look at all the different shows I've done. Um, but yeah, Footloose, that was a fun show. I did the the high school version. I was playing for the high school version because it was for a high school program. Um, and it was a pretty fun show. I actually did not play the drum set book on that one. I played the percussion book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I kind of wish I would have a chance to play the drum set book. Right. Because so, uh, it's actually a really fun show for drum set. Right. Okay. And uh... – what are some? Uh, so I know you've done chorus line. What are some of the other shows you've done? Starting from Footloose, I did. Um, some of these are going to be operas as well, just so you know. Right. Because uh, <laughs> I have I have them kind of mixed together on my CV. So I've done uh, Tenderland, HMS Pinafore, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street. Um, I kind of include the Nutcracker too as yeah. a ballet. Right. Um. The Music Man, My Fair Lady, Legally Blonde. That was one of my favorite shows. Yeah, that's, Legally a tr- Blonde. that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a it's a fun drum set book. Newsies. That's all. That's what I can think of off off the top of my head. Yeah, but yeah, I mean those those are all good shows. I I'm very lucky to have played, you know, a new show every single year. Right. I have not doubled up on any show yet, which yeah. is nice. Right. Yeah, it, it it took a while before I started doing coming second time around on some shows, and it's it's always interesting, you know, especially because ninety uh, percent of what I do is as a music director, so I get to work mm-hmm. with the cast, and you get different casts, and uh, you know, and sometimes it's hard not to compare. It's like, well, either like the second time that some of these aren't as good as the first time, but or some mm-hmm. of them are better, you know. So it's it's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, you're talking about ballets and and operas, and I think a lot of pit musicians do some crossover into that. It's it's the same kind of concept. I mean, you are in a pit for a ballet and an orchestra, so it's still and it's still mm-hmm. a production. 
Um, I guess what makes it different is um, it's li- most operas and ballets are a little bit more keep it moving uh, from a mm-hmm. musician's perspective. And, um, you know, whereas theater, although you do have some what are called through-sing musicals like Les Miserables and Miss Saigon and things like that, mm-hmm. um, for the most most of them have stopping points, you know, for a mm-hmm. while and yeah. for dialogue and so forth. So. But mm-hmm. very similar skill sets needed for all of them. So yeah. Um, well, one thing that I that I did not pick up on when uh, when I met you, you know, at a chorus line, but I've certainly picked up on it through social media, is uh, that you have a a real passion for teaching. As I, I can tell that you you really uh, you celebrate all the successes of your students, and um, you know I've I've got some teacher friends. And I've and and, I've, and I can tell a lot of them love their students. Uh, I I won't mention any by name, but you know I, there, there's at least a handful of teacher friends, and I'm like, uh, uh, they don't seem too happy about being a teacher. But you always yeah. seem very happy about it. So um, let's talk a little bit about that. When did when did you decide that teaching was going to be a part of what you do? Uh, it was definitely high school. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I talked about my middle school band director. I didn't know in middle school that I wanted to be a teacher, but probably by my junior year of high school, because of my experiences I had with my high school band director specifically, and her name is Tammy Reyes. Uh, she's now actually teaching middle school at the middle school that I went to. So she uh, she went down to the middle school so she could be at home more. Because mm. being a high school band director requires a lot of, you know, a lot of time. Right. Um, and so... She was a big influence on me as far as the the whole teacher thing. Um, I really learned a lot from her, and we had a really good professional relationship or student-teacher relationship. Um, and so probably about my junior year, I knew that I wanted to go teach. However, when I got to college, I didn't really know what that entailed. You know, like first, first semester, first year of college, it was kind of overwhelming to be honest, to have like 13 classes in the semester because music ed, you know, I kind of think of music ed as two different degrees. Right. Really, you have you have the education side, but you also have all the music side. Um, and so you really have double the amount of classes that you would as a an, another major. Right. Um, so having 13 classes in the first semester was really overwhelming. Um, so I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, but I was lucky enough to have friends that I had met at college and uh, mentors at, at, at my college as well that really pushed me and helped me understand quickly what it takes to really be a music educator or even just a successful college student. Um, so through that through those opportunities in the college level, as far as um, the opportunity to, uh, or the mentorship that I had, it was really, really a nice road pathway for me to uh, succeed in in the education field. So you were a music ed major. Now, was this at School of the Arts or somewhere else? This was at Wingate University. Okay. Because I was about to say, I don't even think School of the Arts has a edu- music education program. No, they, are, they don't. They're very, <laughs> they're very into performance degrees and so forth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can get a composition degree, which is 
you know, I got film music composition, which I don't even think it's a master of music anymore. I think it's a master of fine art. So, but, um, yeah. So, uh, so you went to Wingate and, uh, so you went to school of the arts. Was that for a graduate degree? Yeah. For my master's in performance. Okay. All right. Good. And did you, were you teaching while you were at school of the arts? Were you starting already? Uh, I actually started teaching back when I was a sophomore in uh, college. Okay. Um, so actually, my teaching really started in the marching band field. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I taught uh, at Piedmont High School. That was my first real teaching gig uh, by myself. Uh, the year prior to that, right when I first started college, the summer before I went off to college, I did teach at my high school um, alongside of my my percussion uh, instructor at the high school level. Um, so I did teach in that first summer being graduated from high school, but my first teaching gig by myself happened in the summer of, uh, my first, my first summer as a college student. Um, and that was at Piedmont high school here in, uh, U- Union County, which is where I'm located now, Okay, which is kind of, it's kind of cool. It, you know, it's a, it's a full circle at this point. Um, but yeah, that was my first teaching gig, and I taught taught there for like six years. I think it's been. I, I guess I don't know the state though. Where is Union County? What's what's it close to? It's close to Charlotte. Okay, it's, it's about twenty five minutes away from downtown. Okay, all right, good. Um, yeah, so I know you you, you teach privately, and uh, you you have an elementary school class. Is that uh, is that kind of it? Do you, or do you have anything else that you're still doing as far as a teacher? I teach college as well. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, I teach at Catawba College in Salisbury, North Carolina. Wow. So you um, are you are a you are pre- <laughs> so that's pretty much your full time job. That's uh, that's what you are. So pretty that, pretty much. Um, I I do like teaching a lot. Or I mean, sorry. I love teaching a lot, right? Um, but um, I definitely spend a lot of time doing it, and I enjoy teaching from you know the very itty bitties pre K yeah. all the way up into you know kids that are going off into their careers. Right. Um, it's really it's really fun. You get to see a lot of different uh, learning capacities, and um, it really it shapes my craft as an educator, but even shapes my, my craft as a performer too. I mean, I see things that my students do even at the, at, uh, the elementary level, which one of my private students who I'm sure you have seen videos of on Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, Jeremy, he is playing stuff that he really shouldn't be playing at this age, but right. somehow he connects with it. And right. You know, it just those those kinds of experiences really shape the way that I teach and the things that I learn as an educator, and the things that I try to later um, implement with uh, other students. Right. I think that was uh, you know something I noticed. You know, soon after I met you, it's like you're posting videos of of, of lessons that you're teaching on Sunday of all days. <laughs> and I said, and, uh, and you look like you're having a blast doing it. So I was like, yeah, so teaching must be a passion. I was, was able to figure that out. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. And, and I can tell your students, you know, they enjoy taking from you. So that's, and that's the funny thing about passion. It tends to be reciprocal. It's like you, mm-hmm. you share it around people and they tend to, 
absorb that and give it back. So uh, not yeah. always, but but quite often. So <laughs> I don't think you've had a lot of shows to collect these, but um, is there a horror story in there that you've had in anything in your 13 shows? I mean, that sounds kind of um, if I was superstitious. 13 is <laughs> not a great number. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, actually. So this wasn't I mean, it was kind of it kind of involved me because I'm the one that saved the day, of course. Um, <laughs> but um, I was playing a Nutcracker show in grad school and I was playing the Tiffany book. And, I, you know, the thing about School of the Arts, they're they're really well known for the Nutcracker. Like that's one of their biggest productions every year. You know, they, they sell out for two weeks of performances every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was playing timpani. I believe this was my first time playing, playing the book. And um, Bobby Thomas mm-hmm. was also playing the percussion book right beside me. And he went to go play one of the big crashes at the very end of the show. Mm-hmm. And it was one of the first big crashes at the end. And he hit the air pocket with the symbol. And he popped from his inside out. And this is why, like, while I'm actually rolling on the timpani as hard as I can at the very end of the show. And I look over and I see Bobby and he was looking at me like, you going to help me? <laughs> oh, well. I'm like over here rolling on the timpani, like killing my arms. Oh, and, sorry. Uh, let, uh, let, let me just back up. Sorry. We had to, we had a little weird buffering thing happen right when, when you're talking about like what, so what Bobby did with the symbols was an air pocket. Was that what she said that he hit or? Yeah. Okay. So basically, basically he hit the symbols together, completely together. Like there was no space in between the symbols. And so what that does is it creates a, a basically a vortex of air in the inside of the symbols. Um, and it caused one of the symbols to pop inside out. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And this happened, this happened right then the show and he still had a couple big crashes at the end. Um, and so I'm over here rolling, like I said, really playing loud. I think I had like three F's on the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> right. I'm rolling on the, the big 32 inch drum and he looks over at me and, uh, he's like, kind of looking at me for guidance and he's like trying to pop this thing inside out, uh, back out and he couldn't get it so like i put down my mallets really quick and I, he throws me the symbol and i like pop the pop the center back out and I, I throw it back to him like a like basically like a frisbee um and i pick up my mallets and finish my rolls on timpani yeah. and he finishes crashes that that's something that you wish someone had a video it was interesting it was definitely uh it was it was one of those moments like i had to think so quickly and um it definitely even though it it was not really a horror story per se because nothing really went wrong with that other than the fact that a symbol popped in um like popped in and out but um it definitely was a moment that i'll never forget because it it took a lot of teamwork to make make sure that we could finish the show. Right. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, and you said, yeah, so Legally Blonde, you count as one of your fond memories. So just, just playing yeah. that show. Yeah. So 
I really enjoy that show mainly because of how interactive the pit is with the the members of the cast. Um, right. It's very much kind of like one of the shows that you see where kind of the the pit is a part of the show. It's not just background music. Right. Um, and I've always liked shows like that because I feel, I guess, more important in yeah. that kind of situation, you know? Right. Um, I'm not, I'm not always going to have the conductor give me the hand, like you're too loud. You're too loud. Right. Um, and so it was nice to play on that show mainly because they were always asking for more, you know, they right. all always wanting more and being the drummer for a type of show like that, you, you're really the heartbeat to the whole show. I mean, you're really the person that's leading. Um, the conductor is there leading, but they're really relying on you to get the time. Right. Right. Uh, that's a show that, uh, you know, it really, if you like playing a lot of different styles, it gives you that opportunity because it's, it's got quite a few different style changes throughout the show. Mm -hmm. Probably my favorite part is there's another drum break in that show. Very similar to a chorus line. It's not as soloistic. It's mainly just a keeping a groove, keeping the pocket, um, for the cast as they're doing a dance routine. I can't remember what, what part of the show it is, but um, I really like that specific time in the show because it really allows me to, like I said, interact with the, the members of the cast. And I think, I believe I'm the only person playing at that moment in the show. Yeah, I think you're so talking about the song What You Want. Uh-huh. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, what that actually calls for is... And I've never seen anybody, you know, locally be able to actually put this on, but it calls for an actual marching band coming in, you know, with, mm-hmm. with, with, with everything. And, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that's how they do. They did it on Broadway is like, you know, marching band comes in, mm-hmm. but you know, in, in a, in a local market, it's kind of hard to get somebody to donate their marching band percussion after they've learned the part. So you end up having a, a drum solo kind of imitate that yeah. type of stuff going on. Yeah. But, but mm-hmm. yeah, you've got some like cheerleading rhythms and they're like, dun, 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 bump, bump, dun, 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 bump. <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, some, yeah. In addition to some, you know, some great fills in there. So yeah. Yeah. That was a yeah. show I got to do twice and uh, okay, it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. It actually, the second time was a little bit, more enjoyable because I didn't have to play and conduct. <laughs> I just had to conduct. <laughs> so uh, a little bit more relaxing, you know, on that time. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, but that's a, yeah, that's a fun show. Um, what other kind of, do you have any other projects going on at the moment or anything you're looking forward to when like 2021 or whenever when everything i'll tell you what 2021 can't get here fast enough yeah <laughs> hope hope um, it's not more of the same with 2020 i said i know the yeah, year's getting here different that's that's the that's the key there yeah. um, i will say the probably the biggest project i'm doing right now is i'm really trying to focus a lot on my teaching um currently but in the way of I'm just wanting to try to come up with a more of a systematic way approach to my teaching. That's more documented as opposed to sort of on the fly. Um, Cause I, you know, I, I plan for my lessons and stuff, 
but I, I find that it's difficult to always go by it. Um, and I think really planning more of like a curriculum guide is more of a, a better a better approach to everything that I do teaching wise to figure out, okay, well, what is what really does my college students need to know at a certain point? Um, and what do my elementary students need to know at a certain point? Right. Um, so I'm, I'm really trying to be better about that, just finding a systematic way of, of uh, planning for lessons. Um, but another project is I'm wanting to get back into composition. Oh. I kind of took a long break from composition, um, and I've currently started working on some pieces. Um, I just submitted one for uh, – I just submitted a, a piece for a publication, hopefully, fingers crossed. Okay. Um, so I'm really trying to get back into composition. I have I have three original compositions as of right now, but none of them are published. Uh, right. So I, my, my goal with that right now is to get one, at least one piece published, and then that will kind of, I think, give me the, give me the push to keep going. Right. Well, great. Uh, good luck with that where can people follow you? Yeah, sure. Um, so my tagger for my, like my, uh, Facebook page that is specific to me being a musician, educator and composer and arranger is at sign mm-hmm. Douglas Rao music. So if you, I think if you type that into Facebook, it should pop up. Yeah. Um, or you could just type in my name, and I'm sure it'll pop up too. So I'll link it in the um, show notes. Yeah, should should be able to facebook.com slash uh, Douglas Rao Music should bring it right. Yeah, up, so, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's probably the biggest thing I have as far as uh, social media goes right now. Um, I'm trying to get on the Instagram game and everything, but yeah, <laughs> it's so hard to find time to do all these other social media outlets. Well, you know, just as a suggestion. Um, you can link Instagram to your page. So like, uh-huh. you know, you post, a, you know, if you post the videos, you know, like your students, it's like you can post it there and it'll automatically share your Facebook page. You know, so, Oh, okay. So yeah, you I... can link them together. It's pretty, I, and I think it now works in reverse. It didn't used to, it used to be, you, you know, Facebook was Facebook, but I, you know, they're yeah. owned by the same people. So, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. Um, and, but the nice thing about Instagram is that you can, you can link it to Facebook and Twitter at the same time if you wanted to do that. So it's kind of, huh. kind of a pretty cool thing. So, yeah, that's neat. I didn't, I honestly didn't know that, you know, my students are always like, Mr. Real, Facebook's for old people. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, well, I mean, I am older <laughs> than you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I gotta say though, you didn't you didn't look at. I mean, you don't look at uh, when when I met you. Um, yeah, I did, the only the only person I knew in the pit other than than Daniel, our conductor, uh, was Pete, who was playing the woodwinds. Uh, that was the only person I had played with before in that show. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I looked at you and and I thought, oh, they got one of the college students here, you know, or or maybe or maybe late high school. It's like you had a very young look, you know. Uh, but yeah. then you started talking about your students and like, oh, nope, you're older than you look. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get, you know, I tell people all the time, I guess it's good genes. You know, a lot of people say I have really good hair. Yeah. Um, and I, I say, well, at least I know that my hair will stay, stay longer than, uh, than my age for sure. Um, yeah. Well, you, you had the opposite approach of me. So I was, I was in my freshman year of college 
and I kind of liked my hair too. Uh, but I had a, I had a friend. I'd say I don't know why I remember details like this. Uh, we it was, uh, uh, and this this will give away my age. But the the movie, the Tom Hanks movie Philadelphia, was in the theater, and uh, me and my friend were going to to see that, and uh, she she just looked. She looked at the top of my head, said, uh, "Dave, you're going bald," <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, and and I was 18, and I was like, I, th- "That that's silly. Why are you saying that?" Yeah. And then I say, "What was this? Had to be October or November of that year." So uh, somewhere around that time, I I conducted. Oh yeah, it was in the spring. It was like February of next year, the next semester. Uh, I conducted a piece that I composed for band. <laughs> And oh, okay. um, my mom took a video from the balcony, you know, and of course, <laughs> so you've got a, you know, a bird's eye view of me on the conductor stand. And I watched that during spring break or whenever, and there's a hole on top of my head. And I was like, no, oh. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I yelled it or just, I don't know. It, you know, when you're 18 and you see that, it's just like the end of the world. But that's so uh, depressing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, so, so for years I've said with each passing year, I get closer to being the age I look. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, now, now, now that I'm in my 40s, it's kind of amusing to me. You know, all the people who are in their 30s worrying about their hair. And I'm like, ah, been there, <laughs> done that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, uh, this has been fun. Thank you for taking time to talk to me. I know you're uh, even in the pandemic, your schedule is quite busy being a teacher. So, uh Thanks for sharing your stories. Thanks for having me. I was very, very thrilled to uh, do this for sure. And that wraps up episode 27. Again, I want to wish everybody a happy and a safe Thanksgiving. Next week, Friday, November 27th, we'll be releasing episode number 28. And I'm going to be adding the city of Chicago to the areas that we've talked about. I'll be talking to a music director who has been all all, all over the map. Uh, but she resides in Chicago, and a lot of our discussion will be about that scene. So again, please check back with us in a week, and that'll be episode 28 on Life in the Pit next week. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, please be sure to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Life in the Pit Pod. You can follow me on Instagram at David Lane Music, or you can follow me on Twitter or Facebook at David M. Lane Music. As always, I want to give a special thank you to Mark Parolo for his cover art and to Bill Cisna for providing the introduction to this podcast. All original music is composed and performed by David Lane. You can find out more about the podcast or leave feedback through davidlanemusic.com slash podcast please rate and review on the Apple Podcast app and please share with your friends. Thank you for listening.